Who on earth would mix a swashbuckling adventurer with a vampire story? Well, Hammer would. Because in 1972, although released in 74, a movie came out which changed the legend somewhat. This is Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. And it really is something different, this film. Made in 72, it's believed, but not released till 74. It's a way to do something different with the vampire legend. And bear in mind that Hammer in 72 and 73 were doing Dracula AD 72 and the Satanic Rites of Dracula. So they're bringing the legend up to, up to date, up to modern times. And they were trying to find something new to do with vampires. And as I say, this is a kind of, um, it's a kind of swashbuckler with a vampire movie that shouldn't work, but really, really does. It's written and directed by Brian Clemens, who did so much work on TV in the 70s and and, and into the 80s, and is the writer, uh, you know, and uh, of a beloved series of mine, The Professionals, really big talent and he directs this and it's the only one he did for Hammer um, if I if I remember rightly he directs this with a real um, t- tightness but he doesn't give us any frills or furbelows to use a phrase I use a lot but he really adds some gorgeous atmosphere here because what you've got with Captain Kronos or Captain Cronus as um, Caroline Munro, who's one of the entourage in this film, insists on calling him. It's such a shame because if you're gonna if you're gonna create a name like that, let's have it properly enunciated, eh, Caroline. What you've got with the kind of atmosphere here, the sun-baked Western art, Western-style atmosphere, is something like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Sergio Leone's 1966 movie. There's a feeling of open spaces here. And the plot is very, very simple. Captain Cronus and his, um, his his entourage, his friend, Dr. Hieronymus Grost, who's a hunchback, a humpback, a crookback, if you want to, to, to use any of those words, played by John Cater, who also played Inspector Waverley in the Fives movies and does that very well in a kind of surface way and is very dependable actually produces some really good emotional work around why are they laughing at me? You know, there's a real humanity in this work. But what he also does is he also provides a kind of energy, a kind of love of this work, love of the vampire hunting he's doing. And you need that. You need that kind of cavalling and that kind of energy because the character of Kronos, played by Horst Janssen, is very charismatic, quiet, saturnine. And he needs to be because he is a swordsman. So although they're getting away from the kind of Victorian and Edwardian feeling that often, that I suspect they felt mired, the, the, the Dracula movies, 
he is dressed a kind of um, Edwardian Victorian military gentleman with a sword and he thought to be a great swordsman but not known as one because he's very quiet and modest about that. He has a different way of life. His is the way of life of the warrior. And he looks great. He's blonde-haired and gorgeous. His accent was thought to be a little too thick when they saw the um, the post-production. And so he was post-synced, which means that his lines were... Um, were were, um, added later. He spoke, but his lines were dubbed by somebody else, and that's Julian Holloway. Stanley's son did a load of work in the 70s and into the 80s and into the the 60s as well. Always dependable, popped up a lot, never a massive star. Don't know why, because he was good at the comedy and could really work well. So he provides the words here, but actually, Holloway and the editors have done a really good job because if you didn't know that had happened, you probably wouldn't have noticed. I didn't notice the first few times I've seen this movie, and I've seen it multiple times. Really well done. So we have that feeling of a kind of western, a kind of um, open, dust bowl, sun-baked place. They go, they are, they are in, uh, invited to, uh, to visit um, Kronos's dear friend, Dr. Marcus. On the way, they see a girl in the stocks, that's Caroline Monroe, who has been put in the stocks for apparently dancing on the Sabbath. So she's a, she's a naughty one. So she's a naughty one. She, you know, she's the only other reason why you'd be put in the stocks is if you were some kind of doxy. And you know, that's that's the, the idea I think that we are that we are getting. This is Carla. She asks to come along with him. In fact, doesn't even ask. It's just accepted that she comes along with them. They don't even tell her what, what they're doing until they are going to um, to do their business. But Dr. Marcus has invited them here because young ladies of the village are turning up with blood on their lips and drained of their youth. So they become old ladies. No one knows why, but... Kronos says to Dr. Marcus, who'd said, I don't know why this is happening. And Kronos said, well, it's a vampire, isn't it? Why else would you ask me here? Well, yes, it is. Okay. So these are vampire hunters. They're roaming roaming the country looking for vampires to kill. And they do this in a variety of ways. Dr. Um, Hieronymus puts dead toads in boxes puts them around the forest and if one is found to be alive when a woman drained of her youth is found then that will be vampiric activity and of course that is what happens he also sees a carriage going by throws a dead toad underneath that carriage when he sees when he goes to the toad it's alive so he knows they also try and track one of the young girls of the village, they have, um, they go to the forest, all three of them, and they have red ribbons with uh, bells on them. It's a very nice scene. They're all um, trying to track a young girl who's gone to the forest to gather sticks, and they're too late when they find her. She is drained of her youth, too. And it's not just young women 
who are struggling with this. Dr. Marcus takes a ride into the forest, sees a black cowled figure and encounters that figure. And as he does, it's quite a nice and it's an interesting and quite out there idea from Brian Clemens. The stream stops moving, film stops. The wind stops blowing, film stops. And when he comes out of that forest, he has blood on his lips. And yes, he's become a vampire. Now, it will be explained why the women are drained of their youth. And Dr. Marcus, who's a man, is um, becomes a vampire later on. But this is quite nicely done. The, uh, the gentleman who's playing Dr. Marcus is John Carson, who we have seen as one of the Hellfire Club in Taste the Blood of Dracula, did well there. And this is a really nice performance as well. When he realises, he rushes to, to see Kronos and says, something's happening to me. And then we see the fangs. And there's a real moral dilemma. How can I kill my, my friend of many years? And Dr. Marcus saying, you must kill me. And they try. They try with a stake through the heart. They don't get it right. They try to hang him. They don't get it right. He eventually dies because a cross he is wearing, a, a, a cross made of metal, made of um, steel, I presume, sticks into the hole, the wound that the stake made, and he expires that way. So, he now knows. We now know how vampires can be dispatched. More of that in a moment. On the other side of this, we have the Durwood family. We have Shane Bryant, who was in several Hammer films, and they really tried to make something special of him, and there's no reason why he couldn't have been. He, he could do the work of a kind of troubled character. He looked good. He had a real blonde look. He was good-looking. Um, he didn't become a star, but he did loads of other things in his career, and good on him. So he's playing Paul Durwood. His, his sister is, Lois, is Sarah Durwood, played by Lois Dane. And their mother, their father has died and their mother has decided not to live. She is growing older and there's nothing the doctors can do. And Dr. Marcus, it's quite a nice bit of writing here by Brian Clemens. There's something around the death of her father, which Dr. Marcus was involved in. He wants to talk to the mother, to Lady Durwood tries to several times and he's always prevented generally by Paul but he desperately wants to speak to her and it seems to put things right so that's the other side of things it's not really an enormously complicated plot we don't have very many subplots we have the story of Cronus Cronos got me doing it now Caroline Cronos a vampire hunter has been called to hunt a vampire and the Durwood family who are deeply troubled. Those are the two areas and in the middle of that people losing their youth or becoming vampires. There's also in the middle of this quite a nice diversion in the tavern because a gentleman is there we don't know this at the time but he's seen fleetingly later and this is another nice moment as part of the Durwood household who gives a swordsman, a flash swordsman, with braggadocio and, um, and bullying nature, dressed all in black leather, played by Ian Hendry. And of course he's played by Ian Hendry, who always had a feel of flash 
and a feel of danger and a feel of a dissolute life plays that really well he gives him money to dispatch someone we know who that's going to be don't we and when Kronos appears later on with the good doctor Dr Hieronymus Caro and his who's Ian Hendry and his entourage make fun of him and Kronos says I don't like that I don't like you making fun of people particularly my friend what if I called you Big Mouth at which point Ian Hendry reaches for his sword and with a graceful double sweep which sprays blood on the walls Kronos dispatches the two either side of Caro and then Ian Hendry Caro staggers around the tavern and falls dead looking at the camera in a lovely death it's a scene that's not really related but it just shows what the character of Kronos is you know he's a very quiet gentle warrior when there's a montage as the good doctor his friend makes the sword especially makes a sword with a mirrored portion because they feel there's mesmerism at place here he sits with a muslin veil covering his face as a kind of nightly vigil and there are two lovely moments when Caroline Monroe is lying against him because she becomes his lover of course she does although the love scene or the scene when they when they first make love or have sex is 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 dealt with in a very shadowy quiet way whilst the two good doctors are playing chess in another room so she becomes his lover and she's leaning against him and when his his name is mentioned he is so quick to get up and move over to the person speaking about him that she falls onto the floor it's very nicely done but he is a very as i say quiet charismatic character who has the way of the warrior about him he has a huge scar on his back and side he smokes a narcotic through a huge cheroot he looks femininely gorgeous and eventually the two stories come together because unbeknownst to the children it is the lady Derwood played by Wanda Venthu who is now of course famous for being the mother of Benedict Cucumber Patch and she was in a lot of uh, horror movies around this time and was often florid and I wasn't keen on her work but she doesn't overbalance this she's been the one draining the women of their youth and she's been doing it via a kiss and that really works because when you've had when you've had the puncture marks on the neck and you've had the puncture marks on the breast which you've had in the vampire lovers and twins of evil this seems chaste and rather lovely even though it's a horrible outcome and she's been doing that to rid her, to make herself young again when they thought she was old she was wearing a mask and she's also been doing that to bring her husband back and that was the figure that Dr Marcus encountered a different thing entirely and he is someone with a black heart and also a premier swordsman so you know what's going to happen don't you Carla Carla Munro's character is used as bait 
she swoons at the doorstep, is brought in by Paul. The mother then holds her in a trance and explains what she's doing to the children, holds uh, to the children, not to the children, explain what she's doing to the children, puts them in a trance, and then the husband is brought in, but also Kronos has sneaked in. And there ensues a massive rapier fight. And it's like those rapier fights you have seen in, in films of old. The set is a huge castle, looks solid, unlike Scars of Dracula. They fight on tables, up and down stairs, all of that. The, the steel sword gets wedged in a table. He takes another sword from the wall and manages to stick it in the Lord Durwood. But of course, that's no good. It needs to be a special kind of sword. To the rescue, Dr. Hieronymus, who swoops down, takes the sword, gives it to Kronos, who dispatches the Lord Durwood. He dies, and the lady becomes old and dies herself. Whilst the children scream in terror. And that's it. Job done. The captain and the doctor are going to their next um, adventure. They're finding more vampires to kill. They leave Carla where she is. I would have thought they'd have taken her with them. But no, it's a bit callous, it seems to me, but that's what they do. And they go to seek more vampires. And it's really set up to have more films. And apparently... Hammer thought there would be more films, but you know, you've got Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, same year this comes out, 74. You've got The Devil of the Daughter, 76. That's it, really. So there wasn't time, or there wasn't money, or there wasn't enough will to make those movies. It's a shame because there's a lot more in this idea. And you know, the, the feel that Kronos brings and that Clemens does so well, which is the openness the feeling of an itinerant traveller who makes his own rules, who brings an openness to the village where Dr. Marcus is. Com and then against the kind of very courtly, very tied up feel in the castle with the Durwood family really works. Clemens allows that to work. He allows the space. And it's not a cut and shut job, this. You don't think, well, it's a swashbuckling and vampire tale together doesn't quite work it really does work and it's a shame we didn't see more of these and you know there are films that I think owe something to this and I know that Hammer surfed the zeitgeist and this does look a lot like the good the bad and the ugly we know that but I think that films like John Carpenter's Vampires which has a group of vampire hunters has a kind of sun-baked feel to it a dust bowl feel to it has a sense of openness in characters who bring their own morality and their own rules. He might not have seen Kronos at all. He might not have. But he might have done. And he might have been... Carpenter might have been um, influenced by this. It certainly has a similar feel. And this movie is lovely. I've watched it several times. It's a great hour and a half. It's four and a half out of five ramble rating because there's not very much wrong with it. There isn't very much plot, but that allows the great atmosphere to come in. And there's so much more to this story. And I want to see 
much more of it. It's a shame they didn't revisit it. But it can be rediscovered anew now. And it's not really aged from being made in 74. It's a great movie. And believe me, you'll have a good time if you go back and watch it again. Ta-ta.